0: Hello, you're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, the markets and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends, how about innovation in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver some of the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. In this special edition BioBanter episode. Our featured guest is Dr. Daniel Parasoto, Executive Director of Oppenheimer's Healthcare Investment Banking team. And our host is Michael Margolis, Co-Head of Healthcare Investment Banking at Oppenheimer. This episode was recorded on August 15, 2023. Thank you for joining us.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the BioBanter podcast. My name is Michael Margolis, and I'm the Group Head for Healthcare Investment Banking here at Oppenheimer. I'll be your host today. I'm joined by Dr. Daniel Parisotto, an executive director on our healthcare investment banking team. We're happy today to talk about what we've been seeing in the private biotech markets in the first half of 2023 and our outlook for the next several months. Before we jump in, Daniel, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
2: Sure, thanks, Michael. I joined Oppenheimer four years ago and came to the firm by way of Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. Prior to Regeneron, I used to be on the equity research side of things, covering big pharma and biotech companies across the board. Before joining Wall Street, um, I grew up as a research scientist in academia.
1: Perfect. Thank you, Daniel. So in the first half of this year, and you're going to go through this, Daniel, in far more detail, we've seen continued strength in the private markets. Although deal activity has declined from the fervor of the pandemic highs, things are still looking very good compared to pre-demic metrics. We have some optimism looking ahead, but for now, let's get started with the first question. How has the private placement deal volume been trending for the first half of 2023? And how does this compare to prior years, Daniel? Uh,
2: let me quickly start with the year 2022, which onto itself was a record year of more than 22 billion dollars were raised by private biotech companies. And even if you subtract the 500 million dollar plus mega deals of 2022, we still ended up with more than 18 billion dollars. Really nothing to sneeze at, right? And surely we came down from the pandemic heights of 2021, as you have pointed out. But if you genome out the two pandemic years and put it into the real historical, that is pre-pandemic perspective of a 2018 or two th- 2019, we are up four to five billion dollars on a yearly basis. And I think that is really significant. Now the real question is, what is 2023 looking like so far? And in the first two quarters, almost nine billion dollars were raised by private biotech companies and at the current run rate. We will end up just about where we were last year, around $18 billion, minus those $500 million plus mega deals of last year.
1: That's great. Next question. How is the capital allocated for Series A versus B versus D companies in this historical context?
2: The financing subsegment that has suffered the most last year was certainly centered around Series B's. It collapsed from a staggering $11 billion in 2021 to just $5.5 billion in 2022 from an absolute as well as percentage decrease, Series B's were hit the hardest. I'm not saying that A's and C's didn't suffer last year, but not just to the same extent. It is interesting to note that this year Series B's are coming in slightly ahead of Series A's again, somewhat going back to the historical norm. And in fact, if you look from a deal count perspective, there's a bit of a bounce back for Series B activity this year. The subsegment that is getting pretty tough this year is more centered around Series C's. Not much activity here. I'm not saying it's zero, but it's basically all the companies fighting for private market investor attention when the plan was to have already IPO'd in 2022. Uh, That, of course, didn't happen for obvious reason, as the IPO market is by invitation only. And if companies didn't make enough progress, such as getting into the clinic or generating clinical data, um, it's certainly tough to raise more capital. And of course. Uh, If there's no direct visibility towards an IPO, raising a Series C is even more difficult. However, Series Cs for early stage clinical or even pre-clinical companies are still getting done. It's just few of them.
1: Perfect. So we just spoke about the yearly numbers. What happens if we look at quarterly numbers in terms of invested capital and deal counts, Daniel?
2: Yeah, so uh, the the quarterly median for 2023 is $4.4 billion, exactly on par with 2022. If you inspect last year a little closer, a majority of the quarterly median was driven by the first quarter. Just a lot of pandemic spillover really and deals that closed in 2021, but were only announced in early 2022. So if you would normalize for that, 2023 actually looks better than last year in my opinion. And turning to median deal count numbers per quarter, While we are a bit uh, below last year's median, so it's 74 versus 84, we are certainly above the pre-pandemic numbers. Um, It goes without mention that we are below the pandemic median. So that's just a general theme going forward. Uh, But overall, what this means is that fewer companies can attract larger deals and it's really a, a quality game um, on, on the private side. So fewer companies are able to attract more VC dollars.
1: Which I think in, in the end is really encouraging for the market. And as you said before, genome editing out the pandemic years, things look really good in 2023. So how about trends in deal sizes quarter over quarter? and Are, are there any, any broader trends in that arena as well?
2: Yeah, looking, looking at the quarterly median overall, not differentiating now A versus B versus C rounds, deal sizes have actually increased. This goes hand-in-hand hand with what uh, I just mentioned about deal counts, fewer companies attracting more VC dollars. There's not a lot of helicopter money to be had this year. I think this trend is in particular apparent for Series C's that over the last few quarters have experienced a deal size bounce back since uh, the lows of 2022. Again, fewer companies are able to raise money, but VCs really want to fund those uh, real meaningful inflection points without the need of additional private rounds.
1: So, I guess, you know, the big question I, we get asked a lot is, you know, how much of the private placement activity is being driven by insiders versus new investors? And any any trends are we seeing there both over time and over a company's life cycle?
2: Yeah, now that is really the crucial question. I'm here today saying that private markets are pretty decent, but what if all of that activity is really driven by insiders supporting their companies? And I analyzed that for the first half of 2023, And um, uh, around 59% of all deals were led by new investors, 18% by insiders, and 11% were mixed rounds co-led by both new and insiders. Um, Around 10% of the rounds were undisclosed. And if you break out this data for Series A versus B versus C, there's definitely a trend of decreasing new investor participation, dropping from 76% to 60%, finally to 40%. And in parallel, you see an increase of insider participation of around thirty-three percent for Series C companies, but only fifteen percent for Series C, for Series B companies. It again shows you that the Series C C's represent the problem child among the private placements uh, where where VCs have to step in and support portfolio companies.
1: Okay, that's helpful. So let, let's let's talk about now therapeutic areas. So I would like to spend some time on therapeutic areas and treatment modalities that attract VC dollars. Which therapeutic areas are garnering the most investment activity? And do we see any significant trends there?
2: Uh, yes, uh, oncology is still attracting an outsized portion of VC dollars uh, with most interest around solid tumors, only a fraction around he malignancies. Overall, oncology was at least 50% of the VC dollar pie spent in the past few years. And it has contracted a bit from there to 25 to 40%, depending on which quarter you look at. And I believe this decrease was mainly driven uh, by the series of failures in the IO space. But if you think about ADCs, radiopharma, or precision oncology, uh, that's really driving the interest in, in, in oncology. And with the positive regulatory news uh, around the CNS space and the clinical success in the CV, metabolic and renal disease spaces, as well as the INI and autoimmune spaces, coupled with some significant MNA deal flow, these therapeutic uh, areas are chasing the VC dollars now that went into oncology in the past years. And these areas only got very uh, little traction in prior years. So that there's certainly a trend away from oncology towards other uh, therapeutic areas.
1: And, and similarly, you know, what trends do you see for treatment modalities? And any modalities that actually stand out in your mind?
2: Yeah, depending on your worldview of the IRA legislation, it is surprising or not surprising that small molecules still come out on top. Looking from a deal count perspective, small molecules still make up roughly a third of all deals. However, looking from a deal value perspective, cell and gene therapy companies um, comprising in my analysis also oncolytic viruses and RNA modalities have raised more capital in in the second quarter compared to small molecule companies. Certainly not surprising given the fact that cell and gene therapy is more capital intensive, but I would have suspected that small molecules in in our current high interest rate environment would attract more capital. And if this is an early signal of the IRA having an impact on VC funding is still uncertain, we will have to wait for the next quarter to see a real trend. My sense is also that VCs overall, rightly or wrongly, don't care about the IRA that much because of of, of their... pretty long time horizons with Merck and bmsu using the US government. The notion is that we don't know what the legislation is ultimately looking like in five to 10 years from now, when some of these small molecules will ultimately hit the market.
1: Great. And, and pivoting once again, you know, what trends do you see in terms of development stage? What's attracting more dollars?
2: Yeah, so our, our preclinical stories are uninvestable on the public side, as as you know. However, more than half of all deals on the private side are raised by preclinical companies. VCs are still interested in innovation, and it pays off to invest early.
1: Understood. I mean, look, I think some of the deal sizes in Series A are, are fairly large in size, including $270 million Series A for orbital therapeutics, $200 million Series A for cargo therapeutics. Are there any deals or, or themes that really stand out to you in those transactions or others I didn't mention?
2: Yeah, you you already mentioned two of the larger deals in the first half of this year. Others to highlight are maybe Carmet or Arivent raising 150 and 155 million dollars respectively. One company of particular interest might be Avenzo. The company raised almost 200 million dollars without a real pipeline. It's essentially a private shell. Of course, the company is run by the former Turning Point management team. And it just highlights that investors like to bet on winning teams, even if there's no real pipeline in place yet. It also tells me that there is more than enough capital available uh, on the investor side to be deployed to make those kind of bets.
1: And then when you look at the you know first half of this year, large deals, you know, mega deals, larger than 100 million or more, are there any themes or comparisons you can make to those of 2022?
2: Yeah, this is very straightforward. This year, the vast majority of the largest deals are clinical stage companies. Last year, virtually all of the largest deals were preclinical companies, um, also including some platform companies. So this theme has certainly changed now where we live in this new reality, where clinical stage companies can attract more capital than preclinical companies. I think that only makes sense as clinical development is more expensive than you know, some preclinical mouse models. However, I, I want to stress this again, preclinical companies are able to raise money as well. They're just not ending up to be the largest deals anymore.
1: Got it. So let's go back to valuation a bit here. So. We talk about the trends in valuation, but can you talk more about the trends in the distribution of the valuation over time? And can you maybe give some explanation to these trends?
2: Uh, I've looked at series A and B and C valuations over the last four to five quarters and tried to be as scientific about it as possible, taking into account mean, medians, 25 and 75 percentiles and min-max values, um, and two caveats before discussing some of the trends here. First, not every biotech company discloses its valuations, so ends can be low. And second, those biotech companies that do are probably happy with their valuation and are skewed towards the higher end of the spectrum here. Uh, Regardless, I think that the trends here are more important than the absolute numbers. And indeed, Series A and B valuations over the last four or five quarters have been quite robust. Um, There certainly is a a range, but nothing that looks too worrisome. That changes for Series C companies. Here, the range is much, much wider when it comes to valuation. Uh, It's a bit of a bifurcation, really. Some companies are still doing pretty well. Others have to take substantial haircuts. And in essence, every company that raised a Series B slash crossover during the pandemic heights with a sky-high valuation and couldn't IPO for obvious reasons, has to take a significant haircut when they raise additional capital from private market investors. If you not look over the last few quarters, but over the last four years, again, Series A and B is rather stable but the Series C valuations were dropping off a cliff going from 2021 to 2022 for the, for the reasons that I just explained, You know, uh, no IPO window.
1: Sure, and so taking out your crystal ball, Daniel, what is your outlook for Series A, B, C valuations?
2: Overall, I think for A's and B's pretty stable with some minor corrections, more so on an individual company basis. All companies that raised private rounds during the pandemic and got too greedy will continue to be under pressure going forward, unless there is significant news flow, that is clinical data, competitor M&A, external clinical data, proving out a mechanism of action, et cetera.
1: And any any correlation in your mind between deal sizes or valuation and development stage?
2: Nope, none whatsoever. Um, I have plotted out the data comparing preclinical versus phase one versus phase two company. Uh, Most of it is simply driven by management teams. If a CEO or CFO has sold one or two companies in the past for a few billion dollars, Deal sizes and valuations increase magically, or perhaps for the right reasons, uh, because drug development, as you know, is error prone and experience really matters.
1: So last question, where do you think the private markets are going for the remainder of the year? Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, uh, Fundraising activity has been pretty solid over the last two years and continues to be rather strong, despite the negative sentiment out there. Old funds are raising more capital and there are also a few newer funds that have raised quite a bit of cash that needs to get deployed. Um, example Examples for a newer fund are Ascenta, they're already pretty active, and older funds that raised more capital such as Orbimet um, or Forbium. The European funds in particular raised substantial amounts over the last one and a half years, so all that cash at one point needs to get deployed. In addition, 2023 looks to be one of the best MA a years in, in recent biotech history, with the exception perhaps of 2019, which was mainly driven by the BMS Celgene deal, so that's really hard to beat. In any case, all that cash has to be recycled, and lots of biotech specialists made a handsome amount of money with the likes of Seattle Genetics, that money will you know, most likely be recycled next year. Prometheus, Prevention, Versanis, and Bersago, Emergent, and, and and the list goes on. The bottom line is... I'm very optimistic about the private markets for the remainder of the year. Granted, there are no major economic or geopolitical hiccups. Uh, after all, innovation in the biotech sector doesn't stop and is arguably stronger than ever before.
1: Well, that's great. And I'm, actually, I'm going to sneak in one last question here. So breaking out your crystal ball once again, you had mentioned before the IPO market is by invitation only. Love to hear your thoughts on the IPO market, you know, kind of between now and your end. And certainly, let's kind of extend the uh, the prognostication of the uh, 2024?
2: Yeah, I I think there's certainly a few themes for the recent IPOs we've seen. Vast majority clinical stage, uh, and if they are preclinical, it's a mechanism of action that that is proven out uh, or targets well-established. Apogee, I think, being a great example here, right? That's a leprachizumab or dupilumab 2.0, which is the reason why Apogee could IPO as a preclinical stage company, but I think Going forward, the flavor for IPOs later this year or or for the first half of next year will be clinical stage with in-house clinical data uh, as a validation or external clinical data as a validation or M&A activity, um, you know, acquisition of a competitor with a similar mechanism of action always helps to IPO. I think that was really one of the main reasons why Mineralis IPO earlier this year. And uh, of course, we have one really important PDUFA date coming up in the biotech space. CRISPR Therapeutics uh, with their uh, sickle cell um, asset in December. So there, there might be a few preclinical genome editing companies that uh, will try to IPO just before the Fidufa date and right thereafter.
1: Well, Daniel, thank you again, really, for all your thoughts here. Really, this, this concludes our podcast today. I'm looking forward to a third quarter update uh, over
2: the next few months. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for inviting me on the podcast.
1: And lastly, for all our listeners today, I'd like to offer up the opportunity to receive some materials that Daniel and our team has put together past quarter, including the analysis of the the private placement market and the M&A market. Feel free to reach out to any of us on the Oppenheimer team for this information. We'll send it to you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode and remember to subscribe today. Join our community to expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.